You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, welcome in, Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, December 1st, the year of our Lord, 2020. You may wonder, why in the world does this dude, well, first off, why does he wear the same shirt every week? That's a personal decision. But secondly, why does this dude have to look down at a piece of paper when he's reading the date, but yet you just look around the whole time when he's actually talking about stuff? I forget the date far more easily than I forget about what uh, Auburn's record is right now. It's a problem, and I'm dealing with it, but right now it is Tuesday, December 1st, the year of our Lord, 2020. We've got college football playoff reaction. Probably not the same old stuff you've heard on ESPN tonight, although, to be honest, I haven't seen a lot of that coverage. So if we repeat things, it just so happens that we were on the same wavelength tonight. Anyway, week 14 predictions, we have got a couple of them, and... Maybe a prediction that you wouldn't typically expect, a game that you wouldn't typically expect to be broken down on the show, but I have my reasons. So we're also going to do that, but we're going to do something I haven't done in two shows, um, and it's because there hasn't been a whole lot of new information out there, but I think there is enough out there to warrant talking about an update, latest intel, whispers, rumors, all that juicy stuff about the South Carolina coaching search. Uh, to this point, there are still no other major jobs that have opened up. I believe that will happen, and when it happens, trust me, uh, we will keep you up to date wire to wire here. Also got two added best bets coming up this evening, and I really want to stress to you, listen, you choose to live your life how you want to, but I'm very much stressing to you, if you ride our picks that we give out on this show, um, just a fair word to the wise. Number one, don't ever bet parlays ever in your life. And you say, what about this? Nope, don't do it then. Don't do it there. Don't do it ever. No parlays. Parlays are the forbidden word on this show. Secondly, either take all the games or don't take any of them at all. And thirdly, make sure you're following me on Twitter at LateKickJosh because what I do is I, I try and anticipate when lines are moving and when we've maximized our value. And I'm putting plays out there on Twitter that by the time maybe we get on air, have already lost their value. We had a game a couple of weeks ago that moved four points, three and a half, four points from the time I put it out to the time I got on air that night and gave it out to you. Now, if you don't care about it, the last 45 seconds of your life have been wasted. However, I just wanted to put that out there. Okay, so we got a lot to get to. I don't want to drag the show out for an hour like we did the other day. So let's dive into it, shall we? College football playoff rankings, the latest edition, has been unveiled just about an hour ago. Uh, a lot of it remained unchanged. Alabama is still the number one team in the country. Notre Dame, two. Clemson, three. Ohio State, number four. There was some conjecture out there. Uh, I was halfway curious, to be honest with you, about whether they were going to keep Ohio State four or they were going to bump A&M, Florida, whichever team they view as the next best. In this case, A&M is the number five team, if they may bump them up. They did not. Now, here's what's obvious at the present moment. They just think Ohio State's a better team. I've been going back and forth with a lot of you on Twitter, and you've misunderstood what I've said about this. So let me make my thoughts on Ohio State football perfectly clear. I think they're the better team, too. I think they are better than Texas A&M. If I put Ohio State and Texas A&M on a field tomorrow, I'd pick the Buckeyes to win. So that's established now that we dive into the more granular details of what the criteria actually will be and should be and even in this year is when it comes to the selection process. Uh, a couple of things that are very obvious now. 
Clemson and Notre Dame are in all likelihood not playing next week. Uh, that's been announced very, very recently. In fact, Colin had to inform me of that because I've been busy with other things today. So they're going to play in the ACC championship game unless something very, very crazy happens. And what's obvious to me right now with Notre Dame, as you saw, they're still sitting at number two, is Notre Dame, man, like their path is very clear at this point. I uh, also, for the record, do not disagree with their ranking. I would have them in the same spot if I were on that committee. I'd have Notre Dame in the same spot right now. There are a few teams that don't have to worry about anything other than taking care of their business. One of them is, of course, Alabama. Another one is, at this point, Notre Dame. Clemson, I think, fits this description, too. If they went out, they're in. Uh, Florida, this is kind of what puzzles me. Florida is also in this boat. Those are the only four. One, two, three, four. Those are the only four teams, as far as I can tell, that if they take care of their business, they're in. Ohio State does not fit that description right now. Texas A&M does not fit that description right now. You could argue with me about Ohio State, and we will in just a second. However, I cannot tell you, I cannot begin to tell you how many folks I've gone back and forth with this week from the uh, Florida fan base. And the reason that I can always say this, the reason I always say, oh, I talk to this fan and I talk to that fan, is because I answer every one of your emails. At the very least, I read every one of them and your DMs. So I go back and forth with dozens to hundreds of listeners and viewers per week. I, I feel like it's pretty common sense. You should make yourself available to your audience. What else do I have to do? So I've been talking to a lot of Florida folks this week. Number one, you've been halfway salty because I didn't talk about Florida Sunday night, to which I have responded, well, you played Kentucky. Well, what about the week before? Well, you played Vanderbilt. I mean, I don't talk about most teams when they're in that situation. They're playing Tennessee this week. Spoiler alert, we'll probably talk about Florida Thursday night and probably talk about them Sunday too. But a lot of Florida fans have been bent out of shape. Here's the second part of what's had them a little salty. I don't know what you guys are so worked up about right now over whether it's A&M in Florida or Florida and A&M. It's totally irrelevant. You're going to get to do something that the folks in College Station aren't going to get to do. You're going to get your shot at Alabama, but you're going to play them in the SEC championship game, which means if you win, you're hop, skipping, and jumping over not only Texas A&M, but probably Alabama too. you got a conference championship under your belt. You're going. No one can take that away from you. So... I don't know what, unless there's just this permanent fixture in your mind to want to be disrespected, which is not a Florida thing. It's like a society thing right now. I I really get it. Um, Don't worry about it. If you're a Florida fan, don't worry about it. Welcome the folks who doubt you. Welcome it. Uh, If anything, you can use it as motivation if that's your thing. However, I was looking at that. I was wondering kind of what that committee was going to do about A&M and Florida. What order that have them in? Now, there are two schools of thought here. It's pretty common this time of year. If you had a head-to-head result early in the year and it was close and the home team won a close game, and then you get later in the year and the team that lost earlier in the season, they're kind of surging. Well, should we have recency bias and should we bump one over the other? Well, of course you shouldn't right now, unless one's a definitively better team. No, you shouldn't. So the resumes with those two teams, they're comparable. Well, head-to-head matters. It's not even JP criteria. That's college football playoff criteria. And like I said, regardless of whether you agree with those rankings right now or not, if you're a Florida fan, it's irrelevant. So just just take a sip of sweet tea, sit back, relax, take care of your business against Tennessee, and then go to Atlanta and, and pull an upset. Now, here's part B of that. What would be extremely interesting is if you don't pull the upset over Alabama, but you lose 30 to 27. How are they handling that? I don't know. Also, for the record, you may have four of the Heisman finalists on the field at the same time that day. Well, excuse me. Four should be Heisman finalists. You know my thoughts on how Kyle Pitts and Devontae Smith are being treated right now. So Ohio State stayed at four in these rankings. A couple of things are clear. Well, 
maybe one thing's clear. If they are able to go to the Big Ten title game and they win, they're going to be in. A lot of you are rubbed very, very raw about that, and I understand. Trust me, I do. However, as I told you in September, and nothing has changed about my opinion on this, there is a default setting, whether you like it or not. You can call it preview magazine syndrome if you want to, but there is a default setting in everyone's mind, yours included, by the way. Be honest with yourself, because I have this too. There's a default setting when you enter a season, how good you think teams are. And that committee is no different. And they got an impression in their mind, they have since the very beginning of the season, about how good they think this team is. They think they're one of the best four in the country. I do too. I think they're one of the best four in the country. There will be every single effort made to find a reason to put Ohio State in because of that. And if they have a conference championship under their belt, if they have that extra bullet in their chamber, that's all it'll take. You can like it. You can not like it. I'm telling you, that's the way it's going to be. The only argument here is if they're not able to get enough games in, and I'm not going to take the added 15 steps that apparently uh, some of the folks did at the national level on the ESPN broadcast tonight and suggest that Michigan's going to run and hide intentionally to uh, keep Ohio State out of the Big Ten title game. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say in general, if they're not able to play in that conference title game and therefore not able to secure a conference championship, and then you've got a resume comparison of a 9-1, and hypothetically, 9-1 and Texas A&M versus 5-0 and or 6-0 and Ohio State, I think they'll have a big problem there, and I can't disagree with the sentiment if they do end up having a big problem because of what, if, what I talked about the other night. I mean, I value competition. I value games. I value putting yourself in the arena, and I've had a number of you come back at me, and you're right when you say, well, it's not Ohio State's fault. It's not Ohio State's fault that the Big Ten fumbled this. You're right. In fact, you're probably one of the only reasons they ended up getting on the field to begin with. Everything was done right in Columbus. I'm not saying it wasn't. What I'm saying is someone's got to pay a price. Like someone's got to hold the bag. A&M's not going to pay the price for the Big Ten's incompetence, so it may end up being you. And if it's you sitting there 5-0 and or 6-0 and against an SEC Western Division team whose only loss is to the number one team in the country and who has a win over the team they're playing in the SEC title game and some other good wins too, if that 9-1 and team sitting there against you 5-0 and or 6-0, and I'm telling you right now, I don't think those are comparable resumes. Why is that important? Well, it's important because of this. All the arguments you can make about – Who would beat who on a neutral field? Who would be favored against who on a neutral field? Who do I think is better? My answer to that could be Ohio State across the board. And in this scenario, it wouldn't matter. Because the only time that has any business being in the conversation is if the resumes are comparable. All that's tiebreaker stuff. Okay, what you think, what I think, how we believe a game would play out, all that's tiebreaker stuff. You know, early in the year, I thought Ohio State would blow Indiana out. That's what I thought. In fact, I bet money on it. And I told you to do the same. Well, they beat them by seven. Okay, so what I thought would happen didn't pan out that day. I mean, it happens every year. It wouldn't be sport if unexpected things didn't happen every year. So what you think would happen and what I think would happen and what Vegas thinks would happen even is irrelevant if one resume is superior to another. If they're comparable, that's a different thing. I don't think they would be comparable at that point. And that's why I believe, and I was listening to, well, I was reading some of the uh, pool quotes from the executive on that playoff committee tonight. And I think Reese Davis asked him, said, was that a conversation? Right now, Ohio State's got, I think, four games under their belt, and some teams have played twice that many games. Was it a factor? And he said, yes, it was a factor. Right now, we think they're a better team than AM. But according to the words that came out of his mouth, this was something that was discussed. It's very clear there's already a split room now, and maybe it's 60-40, 70-30 Ohio State. I don't know the split. 
I'm telling you, that's going to be a big problem. That's going to be a hurdle. It's going to be tough to overcome if you're Ohio State. I got all the incentive in the world to root for Ohio State to be in this thing. So don't think this is some anti-Buckeye sentiment, man. I Trust me. Trust me. I'd love for him to be in. However, I think it's going to be a big it, I think it's going to be a huge problem, maybe even an insurmountable problem for him if it does play out that way, which is why I've got every finger I have crossed that they're able to play Saturday or they're able to play next week and they're able to get in the Big Ten title game and I don't have to talk about this anymore. Also, I just want to say, um, here's a good question, okay? I'm going to put it out there, kind of rhetorical, because it's, it's just got to float simmer for a little while. I want you to think about this. I'm looking here, and it's, Colin, in fact, can we throw up those rankings one more time? So the top four remained, I think, unchanged, and it was Bama, and it was Notre Dame. Yeah, there they go. And it was Clemson, number three, Ohio State, number four. Now, we know those rankings are going to change because, I mean, two of those teams are going to play each other. Notre Dame and Clemson are going to play each other. But here's what I want to ask you. What would it take for Notre Dame to drop out entirely of that top four? Let's say they're undefeated, and, and let's say they are facing one lost Clemson in the ACC title game. What, what kind of margin would Clemson have to put on Notre Dame? If it's a three-point loss, you know, if, if Clemson beats Notre Dame by three, is that enough for you to knock them out entirely? If it's a 13-point loss, is that enough to knock them out entirely? I, it's my personal opinion here, I think it's going to take a pretty sound victory from Clemson over Notre Dame in order to drop the Irish all the way out of that top four. Now, that's my, that's my thinking on this currently. Um, you know, there, there are games to go this weekend, obviously. But having said that, you got to really love it. I mean, if you were to tell Brian Kelly he was going to be at this point in the year and have this much control, total control, really, over his own destiny, boy, he would have taken that in a heartbeat. In fact, they would have probably traded the next five years worth of playing in the ACC if they knew this was going to be the case. And how ironic, playing in a conference may end up saving Notre Dame this year. Or maybe if number of games you play is irrelevant, maybe it's going to be the only thing that hinders them this year. But that's the current state of affairs in the college football playoff rankings process. And it is a process. It's an ongoing, evolving process. Speaking of which, what a transition there. You, you know I didn't plan it because I'm not good enough to plan those sorts of things. The South Carolina coaching search enters, what is it, week three, week seven, month two? I don't know what it is. Rule number one in coaching searches, I always try and reiterate this, and I will. I'm going to proactively tell you for some jobs out there that haven't gotten rid of their head coach yet, make sure, or at least make 95% sure that you have a surefire upgrade ready to go. They're holding on line one, and all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, and everything's written in pencil. We just got to get some solid ink on the paper. Because otherwise, it makes no sense to rid yourself of your current head coach and pay the buyout, the near quarter million dollars per year over the next 48 or some odd months that you're going to be paying your former coach. Why in the world would you do that if you don't have a solid upgrade? Okay, pause on that. Just keep that question in mind because to me, right this second, I don't see some surefire slam dunk upgrade out there that can replace Will Muschamp that warrants all that. But I asked some people around South Carolina that today, and I got some answers that make sense. So we'll table that for a second. I'm going to circle back around to that. Let's dive into where we're at right now. It's very important to note, as this search maybe winds to a close, we'll see about that, to be continued there. Info can be right tonight. Like uh, We're doing this show live, so it's, it's 7.16 Central Time right now on this Tuesday evening. I could make a statement that is factually correct right now that could be totally wrong by tomorrow morning. 
That's how it works in recruiting. That's how it works in coaching searches because the information is only as good as the current mood of the people involved. You know, if Billy Napier were to call me right now and say, hey, uh, heads up, I'm going to take the job tomorrow morning. You know what I'd do? I'd say, <clears throat> I'm tap the microphone. Is this on? Hey, a source close to the situation has told me that Billy Napier is taking the job. Don't any of you dare clip that and put it on Twitter, by the way. That's badly out of context. But I would tell you that. And then if he changed his mind tomorrow morning and he didn't take the job and Colin ended up being the head coach at South Carolina, first thing Colin would do is sabotage the program. But the second thing you would do is you would say, ha, you swung and missed. No, I didn't. I was right. My info was right. It was just right 12 hours ago. Now it's wrong. Keep that in mind as a lot of what people are saying, people you know on the South Carolina beat that are usually informed, keep in mind that when they say things and then it changes, it's not necessarily that they're always taking a shot in the dark. It's that things are changing rapidly. Things change behind the scenes on this sort of deal. So I've been reading over on the bigspur.com, for example, or uh, South Carolina 24-7 site. This has been fun to me, see, because I'm not emotionally invested. Like I'm not a donor. I, I didn't go to South Carolina. I didn't play there. Uh, but I like South Carolina and like I know a lot of people close to the program. So it's been fun for me to watch from afar. For you guys, it's been like sleeping on a bed of nails every night for the better part of three weeks now because you want to know the future of your program. However, having said that, if you're, if you're just a neutral observer, I would encourage you, if you got a membership at 24-7 Sports, if you don't get one, it's well worth the price of admission. But if you already do, head over to the Big Spur. They've got everything from momentum meters over there. I think Sherbert put out a momentum meter earlier tonight. They have got odds. These are probably not bettable, but they've got odds on who the next coach is and the odds move up and the odds move down. And they've got your normal whispers and the very latest and VIP information. All that can be found over there. So if it's being said publicly or behind the scenes, by the way, about the South Carolina coaching search. They've got it. Everyone close to this that I have spoken to believes Shane Beamer is the current leader in the clubhouse. In fact, that's probably the nomenclature. You hear people say, leader in the clubhouse. It's like a memo has been sent out behind the scenes. Leader in the clubhouse. And let me tell you, my impression of what Shane Beamer's doing right now is he is putting on a clinic. This is how you get hired, okay? If you don't have the overwhelming resume, if you haven't coordinated an offense to four or five championships, if you haven't been a head coach, this is how you get hired. You make sure that you get a grassroots campaign of former players, current behind-the-scenes dignitaries, very influential people around the program, big-money donors. You, you get a small torch and pitchfork grassroots army together. And then they take their torches and pitchforks and they turn them into digital tools. It's called Twitter and it's called the internet in general. And you get this groundswell of support. And I was, I was listening or reading rather, uh, JC Sherbert mentioned this and I've heard some other folks mention this too. There's never been, there aren't many coaching searches at Carolina. They had Muschamp. And then before that, you know, there was this kind of ready-made situation with Steve Spurrier. And, you know, they had a ready-made situation once upon a time with Holtz. And so there haven't been very many, quote-unquote, normal coaching searches there. So there's certainly never been this situation where it seems everybody behind the scenes is in lockstep in support of a guy that really has a very limited resume. But therein lies the clinic that's being put on currently by Shane Beamer. That's how you get yourself hired, man. Th that's not my opinion as to whether he's the right candidate or the wrong candidate. Like, I'll give you my opinion coming up in just a second because it ties into a question I asked earlier today. But that's how you get yourself hired. So speaking of my question, um, 
That was the question I asked to a few folks around the Carolina program today who I trust. I I shared my viewpoint on this, and it's pretty generic. Any viewpoint that I have on any coaching search is, if you fired a guy in the middle of the season, I'm all for taking decisive action if you think that the guy you have right now is not the guy. They didn't think Muschamp was the guy moving forward. I'm all for taking decisive action. But my question there is, if you're taking that decisive action, like they fired him in the middle of the year, does it not stand to reason that they did that so that they could go after you know their top candidates? And I would imply by that that there's someone out there that it's worth firing your guy right now for so that you get the first crack at. If I look at Shane Beamer, and this is all due respect to him, Shane Beamer is a guy that South Carolina could have had any time they wanted. And so my obvious question there in lies, why did you feel the need to fire Muschamp? The way it's been explained to me is they're almost exclusive to each other. The culture had gone south. The results on the field had gone south, obviously. So the, the internal dynamics had gone south pretty quickly there. Uh, that's not to say that it was a rotten culture from like a character standpoint. Certainly not like that. But just the overall competitive spirit and the nature inside the program, it was dead. I mean, there was no there was no heartbeat. There was no pulse. It was just there, there wasn't even one of the it was just dead. And the results on the field mirrored that. So that was the feeling as to why they had to get rid of Muschamp. It wasn't like they had Urban Meyer waiting on line two to come into Columbia and save the day. So now I want to say one more thing before we move on. Having said what I've said about Shane Beamer being the leader in the clubhouse, and I believe that, I think there are some varying reports out there about Billy Napier's involvement on this job and whether he wants it or not. Let me make something clear. It is my opinion that Billy Napier could change this thing right now. With one phone call, I think he could change this right now and take that job. There's a reason he hasn't taken that job. Now, you can leave that up to interpretation. It could be that the money wasn't right. It could be that the salary pool for assistance wasn't right. It could be you want facilities, which probably is not the case because they recently upgraded up there. There are all kinds of different things that you have to negotiate in these sorts of deals. And for whatever reason, it seems like Billy Napier has not gotten green check marks in every box that he wants. And here's the thing about it. If you're asking a guy to come in and be the head coach at South Carolina, you're asking him to be at a historical disadvantage relative to even Tennessee, much less Georgia and Florida. Now, a competitor looks at that and they just see a challenge that they love and they'd love to jump at. However, Kirby Smart's getting yes to every request he makes at Georgia. Mullen's getting yes to most to all requests that he makes at Florida. And if those guys are already ahead of us historically, I've certainly got to get a yes to everything I ask for resource-wise at South Carolina. We've got to be a freight train and 136 cars have to just be moving the same direction. We, we can't have, uh, we'll give you 75% of what you want here. Well, meet us 60-40 on this. It's got to be 100%. You got to be 100-100. That's how marriages work. That's how coaching hires work. You can't do the 50-50 deal. You can do the 50-50 deal if you want to go to the belt bowl. The belt bowl is pretty active on Twitter. They're not going to take kindly to that. But you you understand my point. You don't enter the preseason with the goal to reside in Charlotte in late December. You guys want more. And you you could get more if you hire the right guy. But to to hire the right guy, the guy that is uh, theoretically capable of taking you there, it's got to be a yes on everything. And if it means you think you overpaid a little bit, I mean, like, look at what free agency is like in baseball. No one's competing when they're, you know, counting pennies. That's not just not the way it works, typically. Although I did watch Moneyball the other night, so that flies in the face of that. Well, if you want to analytics the SEC to death, you'd be my guest. By and large, you got to have a big-time head coach who does big-time things. And in order to do big-time things, you got to pay him big-time money. 
That's the current state of affairs, second time I've said that phrase tonight, at South Carolina. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, let's talk about some games that are happening this week. I'm going to break down a game here. I'm not breaking it down a whole lot because it doesn't really need to be broken down a whole lot. Uh, But I'm going to break this one down. I don't know what you're doing Saturday night, primetime, 8 o'clock Eastern time. But uh, if you want to check out just something that should carry with it a TVMA rating, check out Alabama as a 28-and-a-half-point favorite, number steadily climbing, on the road at LSU. Why break this game down? What in the world are we doing? Well, we're not going to break it down in the classical sense. But I just think it's important to document for future civilizations. When they come over here and they're looking at what used to be the SEC and, you know, they're, they're doing research here like we do in Egypt. You know, they're just, well, look at what this culture once had. Well, I want them to know why. I want them to have the answers to the questions because I can guarantee you a lot of folks are going to be asking, how in the world did a national champion from one year end up being a four-plus touchdown underdog at home? Why in the world, even as this huge favorite, could you see foam coming out of the mouth of this team in crimson? And probably most importantly, how did RTWFU become an acronym? And for those of you who know what it stands for, you understand. And for those of you who don't know what it stands for, let me say it slowly and you can probably figure it out. R-T-W-F-U. The last two are easy. The first two are probably pretty easy. And if you don't understand the rest, just look up Ed Orgeron locker room postgame from last year. This has been my favorite rivalry in college football for over a decade now. I have thought over the past decade to decade and a half, this has been the most important game in college football. It's had an impact one way or the other on the national championship picture like every single year they've played it. There have been some classic finishes here. I mean, there have been situations where Alabama, in the midst of probably the greatest dynasty run in the history of this sport, They've just been fractions better than LSU in several years that they went on to win a championship. I mean, it's been very competitive. This year, probably not that. And uh, these are two very proud, rabid fan bases. I actually wanted to pull something up for you. The LSU fan base, I mean, I've been down there when they've played Alabama. That place, you give them any reason to believe, and they'll be full throat. Obviously, you'd have a full stadium most of the time. They'll be full throat, and they'll be into it. Uh, I want you to keep that in mind. As I read you what I'm about to read you. So Shay Dixon, or Sonny rather, Sonny Ship over on Go247, he uh, put up an article earlier today, and he was talking about how Alabama's a four-plus touchdown favorite on the road at Tiger Stadium. Now, here's what you would typically get from LSU folks. You would typically get, 
us against the world, massive crimson chip on our shoulder. We can easily take the points. No one's walking into Tiger Stadium and doing that to us. Not only will we cover, I think if things fall this way and that way, we can get them into the fourth quarter and get our teeth around the throat a little bit, drag them out in the deep water. We could beat them. Like That could happen. That would be the typical LSU mentality. Instead, I'm just going to scroll down the message board here, and I'm going to read you some reactions. I'm on this board quite a bit. In fact, I'll probably be on there later tonight after the show uh, to deal with whatever they say about me. And so these are the reactions from LSU fans, genuine LSU fans, about Sonny's article about how Bama is a four-plus touchdown favorite. Uh, This will be a bloodletting, lay the points, trust me. I never thought I would have seen a four-touchdown spread in an LSU-Bama game, and yet here it is after the national title. We will lose by every bit of 40 points. I think it'll be closer to 50 than 40. The line is up to 28 and a half. I'm laying it all day. Uh, I've never bet against our boys before, but this line may be free money. It's going to be scary. It's going to be real ugly. These in a line, just in a row, I'm just scrolling. These are random responses from LSU fans. Just give you an idea of what the expectation is here. So here's the breakdown. It's going to take like 30 seconds. LSU is good enough in the secondary to limit teams, obviously, like Texas A&M. They're not good enough in the secondary, although there will be some good future Sunday-on-Sunday matchups here, you know, like Stingley versus Smith. Uh, Devontae Smith easily got the better of that matchup last year. If you see that this year, good matchup. I lean Devontae Smith on that one. They're not good enough to limit Alabama through four quarters, obviously, though. Uh, Alabama's depth on defense and talent on defense, capable of doing everything to LSU that Texas A&M did last week. And so, what I'm saying is we could be looking at a name the score situation. Now, before I give you just kind of an overall feel about why I'm talking about this game in general, Colin, let's go ahead and show the capsule just for fun. The capsule on this game is the Vegas opinion based on our opinion and compared to our opinion. The Vegas number right here is 28 and a half. Okay. Alabama minus 28 and a half. I don't know how to factor in for what's in play in this game in our model. We like Alabama over 30. So it's 32 and a half. We got Bama minus 32 and a half. I'm not sure there's a restrictor plate factor in this game. If you've watched Bama, and most of you have, it's the number one team in the country or close to it every year, you know there's this restrictor plate mentality with Nick Saban. It was on display last week against Auburn. Uh, once they realize that the other team cannot contain them and cannot control them, it's like, uh, you know, it's the same deal where you put a restrictor plate in a race car to keep it from going 245 miles an hour. Well, Nick Saban puts that on his own team. And so last week, Bama could have scored 42. They could have scored 52, 62. They just dialed it in, put Bryce Young in, don't let him throw a pass, and it is what it is. Get out of there unscathed. We'll move on to the next week. I cannot overstate to you enough how big a deal this game is for Alabama, how badly behind the scenes they fought to play this game, how in some cases a little bit resistant LSU has been to play this game, just to be honest with you. You may think that's weird, but if you were around this game last year and you understood the behind the scenes things and some publicly, some of the things that were happening, some of the things that were being said last year, a lot of the elements that typically wouldn't be present in the motivation factors for an Alabama team, they're present. And what I'm telling you is I'm not sure the restrictor plates on in this particular game, in this particular week, could be a one-off type situation. But if Nick Saban does not turn off the water spigot like he normally does, there is no limit to how badly this will look. There is no limit to how ugly this can get because there's going to be a point in this game where they're able to name the score. And if they want to, they can totally bleed LSU dry. And I think they're going to opt to do it on national TV, in primetime, no less, in Tiger Stadium. 
So I'm telling you, I haven't put it on our graphic yet, but I'm going to tell you this. We're going to take Alabama to win. We are going to take them to cover the 28 and a half. That's going to be one of our best bets of the week. It's at 28 and a half right now. In fact, we may end up moving on that tonight because I think it's going to go over 30, to be honest with you. So you might as well consider that having been placed on the last graphic that Colin's going to show you later. But I like Alabama to win, and I like it to be very, very unfamiliar looking. To those of you who normally watch Bama, I think they're going to stretch that thing a lot harder and a lot further than they normally do in games like that. As for a game that figures to be much more competitive, Texas A&M is a seven-point favorite at Auburn Saturday. This is a really good game. It's a noon kickoff Eastern time on ESPN. Aggies laying seven, very important. It was a lower number earlier in the week, and then it crept up. This, to me, is probably the sneakiest best game in the Southeastern Conference since Florida played at Texas A&M. You remember that game. It's very consequential now, as it turns out. But a lot of people weren't paying a whole lot of attention to that game when it first happened. And we were telling you all week, hey, watch. This is a really important game. Watch this game. So this one now, I think a lot more people will have their eyeballs on. Number one, because A&M is right there in the mix of the college football playoff conversation. So you have legitimate college football playoff ramifications in this game. You also have job security ramifications. The heat will be on either coach if they lose this. Not to the same degree. Like the heat that Malzahn could feel if he loses this is a bunch of his fans saying, fire this man. The kind of heat Jimbo would feel was just, man, we got a 15th year senior quarterback here. We were finally in the playoff mix and we can't even go on the road and beat Auburn. We hadn't beat him yet, by the way, since you've been here, Coach Fisher. We haven't beat him yet. So how in the world are we going to get it done in the future if we couldn't get it done when Auburn's terrible and we're sitting there top five? That's the kind of heat he would feel. Auburn can win this game. Make no mistake about it. I'm going to give you the path for Auburn to win this thing. They can win it because they can limit Isaiah Spiller. Texas A&M's got to be able to run the ball. It's even more uh, imperative for them to do it than all these other teams that are sitting there in the top four. Like Alabama could have 93 yards rushing and still rip you to pieces. Ohio State can do the same thing. A&M cannot do that. They're not that kind of team. Florida could do it. A&M cannot do that. they got to be able to run the ball. Now, Isaiah Spiller, who is the feature tailback for them, has two games this year, by my count, where he's been held under 100 total yards. That's not the end-all, be-all, but just broad strokes purposes. Two teams have been able to limit him like that. One of them was Alabama. The other one was Arkansas. Auburn can do that. Auburn possesses the potential to be able to do that. They are not defensively up front what they normally are, but they still possess the ability to limit a team that they don't have to worry about stretching them vertically like Alabama, for example, last week. Last week, they had no answer for Alabama. A&M's not Alabama. Uh, now, Alabama, by the way, totally shut down that game, and it got kind of sideways. I don't think this game ends up getting sideways like that. The offensive line, when you look at Texas A&M's strengths, weaknesses, the offensive line is still decidedly one of, if not maybe the biggest strengths of this team. There's an interesting stat right now, though, uh, that I was reading, I think, over on Auburn Undercover earlier today, And it's this, you know, they haven't given up many tackles for loss. They haven't given up many quarterback pressures, many sacks at all. But a quarter, 25% of the tackles for loss that that A&M offensive line has given up this whole year, they gave up last week. So if you want to go recency bias, they're they're on a terrible streak right now. They're on a terrible run. LSU is, they may not be able to do a whole lot. They can get pressure on the quarterback. They can get pressure on the quarterback better than Auburn can. Auburn's pass rush has been a notch or two down this year. And so if I'm looking for the path for A&M, the path is this. 
Assume, just for a moment, that you're not going to get the same pass rush effectiveness down in, down out this week against Auburn as LSU was able to get against you. You've also, for whatever it matters, knocked any kind of residual rust off that you had going into last week after you hadn't played for several weeks. So you have that. Auburn's pass rush, probably not going to affect you and impact you. And Kellen Mond, therefore, will probably be in a much better position to make things happen in the passing game. Now, this is not a Heisman contending type quarterback. He never has been. He doesn't possess that kind of skill set. But he was playing his best football that he's played in his entire career over a string of weeks going into this extended bye period they had. So he comes out of that. Uh, They had a much better pass rush, did LSU, than Auburn will have this week. The weather was horrible last week, so he was throwing in the rain. And I think the game plan got dialed down pretty quickly once Jimbo realized, hey, LSU can't score. So less pass rush, less rain. I think you get better production from Kellen Mond this week. Probably not 455 yards through the air or anything like that, but I think he'll be a lot better. Um, The other issue in play on the other side of the field with Auburn is there's no offensive consistency. I mean, if you're looking at what scares you this week, what scares you is not something for A&M. As it relates to Auburn's offense, what scares Auburn's offense is um, the propensity to turn the ball over a whole lot. And as skilled as Alabama is defensively in that front, I mean, A&M, they're no slouch either. So they are going to consistently get after Bo Nix. They're going to consistently take advantage of an inferior Auburn offensive line this year. Healthy or not, that's been a pretty inferior unit relative to the rest of the league. And so here's the problem. You remember last week when you were watching the Iron Bowl, and even when Auburn had success, it felt like a miracle anytime they converted a first down. That's kind of the way I see this game playing out. It's Auburn able to move the ball some. They may even sustain a couple of drives, but it's it's a bunch of that Bo Nix flush from the pocket, initial play breaks down, He's got to take it upon himself to just make things happen improv style. And he'll be able to do it some. I'm not telling you he won't. In fact, quite the opposite. I'm telling you he will. That's how Auburn's going to score some. That's why A&M's going to have to get on the board themselves. Therefore, Kellen Mond's going to have to get it done. But the point is, there will be no consistency. There will be a high propensity to turn the ball over again this week from Auburn's offense because yet again this week, they have no other option. They are going to have to put Bo Nix in a position to take risk. They're going to have to take inordinate amounts of risk to win this game. So, Colin, let's take a look at the game capsule, and let's see what the model thinks versus what Vegas thinks versus what I think. The Vegas number right now is A&M minus 7. This has gone past our number because our in-house model here has Texas A&M minus 6. So I've kind of had a feel on this game all week. Uh, This screams Auburn in wounded animal mode coming out of the Iron Bowl and Texas A&M vulnerable, looked a little shaky last week against LSU, and now they're going out on the road. It's more pressure. In fact, this is probably as pressure-packed a game late in the season as that program has played under Jimbo Fisher. I think everyone expects A&M to struggle here. I think they're going to win. I think they're going to cover against Auburn, not in blowout fashion. I think it'll be a competitive game, but I think in the end, that A&M team is going to be able to outlast Auburn. So I'm going to take A&M to win. I'm actually going to take him to cover the seven. It's certainly not anything I'm placing a wager on, but I am going to pick A&M to win and cover. Now, the games that we are willing to place wagers on, Colin's going to show you right now. The Ramen Noodle Express is how we wrap up pretty much every show. I have added two more best bets since we last spoke. If you follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh, you already got these. These lines are going to be moving. In fact, since we went on the air, they may have moved for all I know. I gave you two the other night. So you already know West Virginia plus seven at Iowa State. And this game right here, I feel extremely good about. It's Washington minus 10 versus Stanford. I just don't know if the game's going to be played. 
So keep your fingers crossed because we got a really good number on that game. However, I expect to wake up any morning now and see that that thing's been postponed. But as for now, we like Washington minus 10. Here are the two new games. A couple of short favorites here. Oklahoma State is on the road against TCU. Cowboys minus two. Last week they burned us. We laid two possessions with them. Well, right now, hey, in order to cover this, they pretty much just got to win the game. So we'll take Oklahoma State minus two against TCU. And then we're going to lay three points. Missouri minus three at home versus Arkansas. Rakeem Boyd out for Arkansas. Kind of got a whiff of that coming earlier in the week. We wanted this number when we did. I think it'll end up being above three by the time that game kicks off. So West Virginia plus seven, Washington minus 10, Oklahoma State minus two, Missouri minus three. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now, you might as well pretend it's in that box. Alabama minus 28 and a half is a game that we're going to move on. I'm going to tweet that out as soon as the show's over. It's probably the biggest number that we've laid all year. There is no number high enough in that Alabama LSU game right now. So that's where we stand on the Ramen Noodle Express. Again, I will put uh, probably at least one more bet out tonight on Twitter, maybe more. So again, follow me there at Late Kick Josh. Also, if you want to participate in one of the one-on-one Zoom consultations, you want a future in sports media, interested in asking all kinds of questions about it, email me, joshpate706 at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter. Happy to uh, talk about anything, really, with you guys. And also, uh, one more thing before we go. It's been a little while since I reminded you of our schedule. So we do Late Kick Live, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, right here on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. So subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, These shows are all available in podcast form the next morning. So if you subscribe to the podcast, you get just podcast version of this show the next morning. But we also do two other podcasts during the week. They're on Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. That's when they're available just on the podcast feed. You will not see those on the YouTube channel. And all that is is Q&A. It's some of the most fun we have during the week. It usually ends up being some of the best content that we have during the week, and it's all driven by you. So I take your emails and your DMs and the best questions, and usually just all the questions. They get thrown into a document, a little Word document, and I just go down the list, and I answer as many questions as I can in 30 or 45 minutes. And so make sure you're checking those out too, and give us a five-star review while you're over there on the uh, podcast side of things. All right, we got to get out of here tonight. we got a lot of work still to do in the editing process after we go off the air. So for Colin on the directing side of things here, director Colin on the video, producer Jordan on the podcast side, I'm Josh Pate signing off. We will see you again Thursday night. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless you.